We are continuing today in our Second Timothy series. We've called this series Nothing to Lose. We've got the Apostle Paul at the end of his life just downloading any information and teaching and mentoring that he can to his young uh, pastor, protege, uh, Timothy. And, uh, you know, Paul just really has nothing to lose. He's, he just wants to give it all. And we're talking today about our words. Our words. You know, there's a story that Nicky Gumbel of the Alpha Course, um, he tells, it goes something like this. He tells a little differently, but, but the story is that there's two men who've, who are hiking and they, they meet in, in the mountains on their hike. And they bump into each other and they strike up a conversation. And as they talk, they find a, a common point of interest because one says to the other, hey, Jesus, God loves you, man. And uh, the second man responds, oh, do you believe in God? And, and the first man says, yes, I, I do. And the second one asks, well, are you a Christian or a Jew? And, and the, uh, he says, a Christian. Well, me too, comes the reply. Well, uh, are, are, are you Protestant or Catholic? A Protestant, says the first man. Well, me too. Well, what denomination are you? Asks number two. Baptist. Oh, me too. Northern Baptist or Southern Baptist? Northern Baptist. Oh, again, me too. Northern Baptist conservative or Northern Baptist liberal? Oh, Northern Conservative Baptist. Me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? Once again, the first one replies, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. The first one exclaims, me too, and asks, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912? The first man responds, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. At which point the questioner yelled, heretic, and pushed him down the mountain. I don't know if you ever feel like you've overheard conversations or read conversations or seen interactions like that. If you pick any well-known you know, church or any well-known Christian leader, you will find armies of supporters and opponents often online almost yelling uh, at each other, arguing over who's right and who's wrong, often over relatively unimportant details or side issues. Conflict in the church has been normal, honestly, from the beginning of the church for, for the simple reasons that First of all, the enemy, the devil, our enemy, he hates truth. And so he will do anything he can to stir up deception and to stir up argument. And that's one reason. And the other reason is that we're human and we're prone to conflict. We're, we're prone to, to want to be right. We're, you know, I don't think there's many, uh, you know, genuine, authentic relationships of any kind, home, church, workplace, etc., that haven't had to deal with some kind, some level of conflict. Now, some conflict, without question, is, is necessary. But, you know, I, I spent some time with a friend this week who's, who's not a believer, not yet, um, and he was trying to understand why there are so many different churches, especially in, in our city. You know, there's something like 500 churches in Fresno and and Fresno Clovis, and it wasn't easy to explain to him our divisions, and I am thankful for the wide variety in the body of Christ. But honestly, it's a little bit embarrassing to, to see that some of our splinters are on kind of lesser doctrines or minor issues. But I want to be careful not to point any fingers 
because we all have points of conflict in our relationships, not just here, but at home, at work, at play. Um, conflict is especially painful when we're standing up for what we understand to be true and right and good, but others disagree. That's when it's really hard, particularly in your own family setting. You think, ah, oh, but, but that's wrong over there. And then you have a conflict. In our look at Second Timothy, uh, one of Paul's aims has been and is to equip Timothy to handle the influx of false teachers in the church. Timothy was pastor to this uh, first century megachurch in the city of Ephesus. And they were already grappling. This church was not old, but they were already grappling with some who came in and they divided the, the flock. They divided the, the, the church and they divided believers um, by teaching erroneous doctrine, teaching things that were not true. And it, like I said, it's an efficient tactic by our enemy, the devil. It's divide and conquer, right? Divide and conquer. And if he can get us arguing about small things, then we get away from knowing Christ and God's great love for us. If we, if we don't keep the, the big things big and the small things small, then we're gonna, we're gonna find ourselves in a dividing conflict. And then what happens is that our faith in Jesus turns just into a religion of right and wrong, a religion of morality, being a good person or not being a good person. And then that polarizes people. So now we get to sort of debating doctrine and debating morality instead of actually helping people come to know Jesus personally. There's a big difference between just being a good person or knowing truth and actually knowing Jesus, which is our goal. So we're going to read a few verses out of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Today, and uh, starting at verse 23, 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're just continuing in small sections in this, this book, but I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word today. Second Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 23, the Apostle Paul writes, again, I say, Don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do Whatever he wants. I thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. Look, even even good people disagree. If you grabbed ten of America's best preachers right now, guys and gals that you respect for their faithfulness to scripture and, and to truth, and if you have those ten preach each a sermon out of these four verses you'd have ten different sermons. And you'd agree with most of what each of them said, but there there might be a few points you would disagree on. you say, well, I wish he hadn't used that illustration, or I wish he hadn't said it that way. And you'd have some disagreement. You you probably will disagree with me in something that I will say or teach today, or maybe every time. That's okay. That's all right. Because if you listen to those ten sermons Honestly, a week later, you'd barely remember anything they said. 
Look, I barely remember what I say. I do not expect you to remember things. It's a good reason to take notes. But you would remember how they said it. We don't remember details of what people say. We remember how they speak and how they make you feel and how they make you think and how they make you believe. That's what all this political election season is about. Candidates that you're not, it's not really about content, is it? It's about who makes you feel, who draws your attention, who makes you believe that they're the best candidate, regardless of whether or not they have content. What we, how we say is more important even than what we say. False teachers are wrong for, not only for their teaching, but because of their character. That's part of what makes them a false teacher. Paul deals with that. And it's how they live and how they communicate. And we're going to see more of that in the next chapter. But Paul's charge to Timothy is right there in, in that, that first, um, verse 23 is to, to, um, you know, don't let yourself get kind of dragged into arguing. Don't, don't get sucked into arguments. Well, why? Well, it's, he goes on to say, because a servant of God is not to have that kind of character, right? Instead, in verse 24, and we'll have that one on screen, in verse 24, Paul names three contrasting qualities. Uh, let's read this. A servant of the Lord, Paul says, must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with difficult people. And explain why that's in parentheses there. It's, it's being kind, it's able to teach, or teachable, and patient. Um, let's talk about those three things. First of all, kindness. Kindness is not really difficult. I know in our children's ministry, kind of a developing theme that, that Pastor Nett's been using is kindness matters. Um, you know, some people will push your every button. They just know how to get to you, especially if they're your kids um, or your parents. Um, but you know what? You can always be kind. It's not hard to be kind. Your worst enemy, your, your worst enemy is still a human being created in the image of God and in need of God's great love. And you've been placed in that relationship to be a conduit of that love. It's not hard to be kind. Let me suggest a few ways. And I only think of these because these are probably all areas that I struggle with. One is to not bring up past mistakes. You know, we, we're guilty of this in marriage. Uh, you know, well, you did such and such, or did you really do it that way? Or you maybe in the workplace, we remind someone, well, last year I noticed you did that. And we we're, have a tendency to bring up people's failures of the past. That's not kind. That's not helpful. If it's been addressed and dealt with, and maybe it doesn't even need to be addressed and dealt with. Um, let me give an example that's not a real example so that I can not get in trouble for it later. But let's say, for example, that I, that I didn't, that I said, hey, I'm going to put gas in the car before you go to work, and then I forget to do that. Now, she can leave for work, and she says, oh, there's not enough gas in the car, but I have time. She fills it up, and she gets to work. Now, she could come home and say, you said you were going to put gas in the car. Right, I forgot. Now, or she could say, he forgot, it's taken care of, it's no big deal, we carry on with it. It's probably better for some things you just don't need to deal with. 
Or there might be a, a way to do that. That's probably not a very good example. Let me move on. So don't bring up past mistakes. Because she can probably think of all kinds of things that she could have brought up in the past and hasn't. So I'm very grateful. I would just avoid those sarcastic... Oh, guys, we are so good at this. That cutting, sarcastic remark that gets a good laugh, a quick laugh from everybody else, but at somebody's expense. Oh, I, you know, we men particularly are good at that. But it's not kind. It's not, it doesn't build somebody up. Or how about this? To be kind, let outsiders into your circle. Talk to people you don't already know. Talk to somebody. If you're in a group and there's there's someone separated, maybe somebody's new in the workplace or new in the classroom, you know, you could talk with your old friends about what you always talk about every week and you're, or you could leave your circle and say, hey, so tell me about yourself. It wouldn't be hard to do. And don't like, like focus it on like gender or race or something like that. Oh, so, you know, are you from Canada? You know, you have a strange accent. Is that where you're from? You know, you don't need to do that. Just have a normal human-to-human conversation about stuff. Um, how about this? You can be kind by being more generous than normal. I had an amazing conversation with my son last week up in Canada, and he was feeling a bit badly that he'd helped a homeless guy with some money. And we just said, son, that was awesome. He's like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have helped him. Like, I'm like, you did a great thing. He said, I just felt like it was the right thing to do. Well, then that was a good, good thing to do. Be more generous than normal. It's kind. So Paul also told Timothy to be patient. Patient with those who want to push back or patient with those who want to argue. So we're going to do a couple of little Greek word things today. The Greek word that Paul used here, where were we? In verse um, uh, 24, right? Be patient. NLT says with difficult people. Another translation is be patient in evil. The, the Greek words, one of these hard to translate uh, words, Paul uses it only here. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament. It's not that common a word, but it has the sense of, of bearing wrongdoing, putting up with wrongdoing without resenting somebody for it, without resentment. So it's an attitude issue. So instead of saying, oh, I'm so done with that person, it says, well, there's still hope and still an opportunity for change and growth in that person. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to be patient, even with a difficult person. We see no one as a lost cause. And then, and that takes real discipline. There are times you just, you, everything in you wants to just reject them. But then the third thing is that the Lord's servant should be, as he says, able to teach. Able to teach. Which again is a difficult to translate word because it's only used twice in the New Testament. Once here and once in the, in First Timothy. So Paul's the only one that uses it. And it's a little bit tricky and could just as easily mean, instead of able to teach, it could easily mean teachable, someone who's teachable. But, of course, a person who's able to teach is usually teach a teachable person. The, the point is that instead of just wanting to prove you're right, right, and prove that your challenger is wrong, you have the hope and the desire to help your opponents, again, learn and grow and change and become better. We want to be those qualities, kind, teachable, or able to teach, and patient with everyone. So Paul's spun these winning qualities out for Timothy, qualities that are going to empower him as a leader, empower him as a believer, right? As he's dealing with people who oppose him, deals with false teachers, and even those with evil intent. 
So that's kind of the setting for what Paul's talking about in terms of leadership in the church, but also in our relationships. And yet relational conflict hits us in all kinds of places, right? Not just between leaders in the church, not just with false teachers, but elsewhere. And this passage is going to help us deal with that. So let's finish with three guiding principles when dealing with any kind of relational conflict in your life. Are you ready for these three things? Let's go back to verse 20. I don't have it on screen, but back to verse 23. Let me read that for you. Verse 23, he says, Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. If you're taking notes today, you can put it this way. Don't take the argument bait. Don't take the argument bait. Man, it is so easy for something to escalate. You always do that. Yeah, well, you always do that. And all of a sudden, boom, it's gone. It's escalating into a big argument. Don't take the argument bait. A combative or confrontational posture in your relationships uh, or in your conversations is, is not helpful and it's not productive. Right? So whether you're in conflict with your spouse or your kids or your parents or a boss or a pastor, if you're, or maybe you're even just, you're trying to share the gospel with a friend or a stranger and they're kind of resistant or pushing back, don't start with an accusation. You never listen to me. You're always like this. You're so unreasonable. That, that's, that's an accusation and that starts a fight. Those are fighting words. And then, you know, the, the conversation just escalates uh, into, uh, into an argument. And it's not helpful. It's just not helpful. It's, it is easy. It's easy to do. And so some people really get an adrenaline rush from it. Um, and I think this was probably more of a problem. Well, more of a problem for me when I was younger. Um, and I always felt the need to be right and prove that I'm right. Right? I still struggle with it. Because, you know, I believe I'm right. And I want my wife and my kids to admit it. You know, those three words... That every spouse loves to hear. It's not I love you. It's you were right. <laughs> we love to hear that, don't we? Come on, let's be honest. I love hearing that you were right. Yes, of course I was. I knew that. You would come around eventually. Ah. <sighs> um. But, you know, things can really escalate. Um, when you sense a conversation is getting a little tense or a little conflicted, uh, it's, it's just the best thing to, to just put a stop to it, just to back away from that. You can say something like, hey, I don't think we're headed in a helpful direction here. I, you know, maybe we can come back to this another time. Or find a way to just pull back from the conversation. Because no one ever wins an argument. You know that? No one ever wins an argument. One might concede defeat... Okay, you're right. I'm wrong. But that never results in a closer, um, you know, relational connection. Right? Oh, I'm so glad you convinced me of truth with your arguing. Right? I feel like we're better friends now. Said no one ever. It doesn't work that way. So, I, I don't, on most subjects, 99% of the time, I actually don't need to be proven right. Does it really, really matter? Not every argument is foolish and ignorant. Well, honestly, most are. And no argument, listen, no argument is relationally productive. There's no argument that will help your relationship be better. There's conflict, and marriage, for example, is normal to have conflict, but there's healthy ways to resolve that without, without destroying each other. So don't take the argument bait. 
Secondly, when speaking, when in conflict, speak kindness and truth. Speak kindness and truth. Um, we've already talked about kindness a little bit, but truth, kindness matters, but truth matters too. Verse 25 says, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change, perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. Notice that it's not your job to convince anyone of anything. You gently and kindly speak the truth, but it's God who does the convincing. You've got to understand that. That's what Paul says. Speak it, and perhaps God will change their hearts. When you're in conflict, it can also be helpful to, to ask for permission to speak or to teach. For example, you might say, hey, could I suggest another, another way of looking at this? Or, um, hey, would you be willing to hear why I'm, why I'm pretty convinced this is true? Or, hey, could we, could we take another, you know, angle on this? Some way you're actually asking permission to speak. Because when you, when you ask and receive permission in communication, there's no need then to argue or bicker because this person has said, yes, we can talk about this. Right? And if they say, no, I don't think so. You, you could say, for, for example, something like, is there anything I could say or show you to change your mind? If the person says, no, I don't think so, then stop. Stop it. If, if a person has said, I am not willing to hear your side, what would be the value of continuing to hammer away at that? So ask permission. See, here's the reason. If I can argue you into agreeing, agreement, if I can argue you in, into, you know, coming onto my side, someone else can argue you out of it. But if God convinces you what is true, there's no higher authority to convince you otherwise. Then you have the testimony that says, I believe because God has given me an understanding on this. So, if God brings you to truth, you'll find life. So use words both of kindness and of truth, and you'll you'll win in these conflict situations. And then, uh, so that you know, we're gonna we're gonna not take the argument bait. We're gonna speak kindness and truth. And the last thing, if you want to take some notes today, it's um, in particularly if you're dealing with a difficult person or opponent, is to seek a freedom destination. Okay, what does that mean? To seek a freedom destination. That doesn't even make. Is that a thing? Well, look what he says in verse 26. If God can change their hearts, verse 26, then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. See, Paul is saying that Timothy's foolish opponents are in the devil's trap. They're held captive for the devil's purposes. So, you know, if they will accept God's truth and allow God to change their hearts, they can escape to freedom. They can get to a freedom destination. So in every conflict situation, it's essential for you to remember that we don't fight against people. It's not against, you know, flesh and blood, as we sometimes say. We fight against the devil's schemes. Your opponent, your coworker, your ex, your parent, your neighbor, whoever it is, is not your enemy. The devil is. And the devil uses people and he abuses people so that our so that he kind of turns people to, to fight against you. But it's really the work of the enemy. That's what Paul's saying here. So our goal then is not to defeat people. Our goal is to deliver people. 
Do you understand this? My goal is not to defeat the person who disagrees with me. My goal is to deliver them. I, I, I was saying about this friend I've spent some time with this, this week. And, you know, pretty, pretty distant apart on, in terms of matters of faith. And, you know, he just like, well, I, I just disagree with you on that. And I disagree with that and that and that. And my goal isn't to say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show him that he's wrong. That's not my goal. My goal is to say, I want him to come to a place of truth. I want God to deliver him to freedom. So it's helpful then in, in any conversation, especially difficult conversations, this is a great question to ask. What's the goal of this encounter? What do I want to see on the other end of this conversation? What, would, what outcome would I want? What's the goal of this encounter with this person? Now, there are short-term things, but ultimately, the ultimate goal would be to see everyone come to faith in Christ. That's God's desire. Paul says that in 1 Timothy, that God wants everyone to come to a knowledge of the truth. So that's the ultimate goal. Or to at least have the opportunity. My goal should be in every relationship for that person to at least have the opportunity to respond to faith in Christ, to trust in Jesus. It's their choice, right? But they should at least have that opportunity. Because what good would it be if you proved your point with somebody and, and your opponent says, you know, you're right. And then they're really thinking, you're a jerk. That's really unhelpful. I'd much rather leave with someone, you know, with the opportunity to respond, maybe even a disagreeing with me, but, but they're really thinking, wow, there's, there's something about the way Brian treated me that makes me think this is truth. Because then, if the heart can stay soft, God can work with a soft heart. God doesn't work with hard hearts. God works with softened hearts. And your kindness and your patience and your speaking truth can soften the heart so that God can do the work in them. So we can let go of that need to be proven right, right? And rather than seek, you know, to give a person the opportunity to hear truth, in a kind, kind way. Now, if a person disagrees with me, even strongly, it's not personal. They might even say, I think you're crazy. As my, my friend this week said, I think you're crazy on this. But it's not personal. It's not that I'm crazy. He just thinks what I believe is crazy. And I understand that. He just, he's not come to a place of understanding God's truth yet. So, it's not me they're resisting. It's not personal. It's the truth of God's word. And you know what? God can defend himself. God can defend himself. So, conflict is normal. Conflict happens. Um, if you are in a, in a relationship where you are really struggling with, it's perpetually in conflict, you probably need some outside help to kind of clear the deck for you. If this is the case in your marriage or workplace relationships, reach out to somebody who's who's got some skill in this area, can help you navigate this, learn better skills, manage it better. But the goal should always be a relationship that leads others, even your opponents or enemies, that leads them toward Christ. Even if they're already a believer, you want them closer to Christ, if it's your spouse or your kids or your parents. So be kind, be teachable, be patient. And then when you are into a conflict situation, don't take the argument bait. Speak kindness and truth and, and then look for that freedom destination. Look for that, that place where someone is delivered from their 
deception and comes to a place of truth. Kind of a workshop message for you, but I hope this helps you and helps us as we are following Christ together, as we're seeking ways to make Christ Jesus known in our communities and beyond, that we look for ways to be people who aren't picking fights, who aren't sort of blasting others, who aren't giving people a reason to say, yeah, you may be right, but you're a jerk. We don't want to do that. I'd rather be wrong and have someone contemplate truth than be kind of have them accept that I'm right and walk away with a hard heart. So I've included on the back of your outline today, I've included some notes from a book that I've found really helpful on this. Um, just in terms of how to, how to manage conflict, I've listed the author and the, the title of the book. So if you'd like to know more, that's a great book to read. I highly recommend that. And just some ways to maintain relationship connection even in conflict. But I'll let you read that later. Let's, let's stand together as we close in prayer. Because here's, here's the, the kind of the fundamental underlying part of all this. You and I were all in conflict with God at one point. If you've not trusted Jesus yet, you're still in conflict with God. You might feel like, hey, me and God are good. But if you've not come to that place of trusting Christ, you're in a place of separation from God. And you are in conflict with Him. Now, God recognizes that it's impossible for you to resolve that conflict. So instead, God sent Jesus Christ, His Son... To die in your place, to take all your sin, to bridge that gap so that Jesus would be the great reconciler of your relationship with God. And because you've been reconciled with God by faith in Christ, you can also be reconciled with one another. And the Apostle Paul says elsewhere that we also are given that ministry of reconciliation, that we also are to facilitate reconciliation in relationships with one another and in people's relationship with God. If you've never come to that place of trusting Jesus Christ so that you can be made right, taken out of conflict with God and be righteous in, in His way, God wants that for you. He wants you to know Him by your faith in Christ Jesus. That's something where you say, I want that. I want to be right with God. I want to be saved from my own way of doing things. I would love for you to come talk to me after the service or you can talk to Pastor Stephen or somebody you came with today. We'd love to help you with that. Let's pray. God, I thank you that um, in spite of our conflicted world and the yelling we hear in the media and the, the arguing we sometimes get into at home or at work or elsewhere, we know that you came to bring peace. We know that you came to be re- bring reconciliation. And God, I ask that even today you would remind us in our daily conversations through this week to exercise patience and kindness, to teach truth and to be teachable. So that in all things we would be agents of good news. That we'd be agents of reconciliation. That we'd be agents of your great presence in people's lives. Not giving them an excuse to turn their back on you. But giving them a reason to hear more of what you have to say to them. God, would you make us those kind of people this week? And church, as heads are bowed, I would just, just urge you in a, just in a moment of reflection to say, are there, is there anything here that's for me about kindness? about teachability, about patience, about not being argumentative or confrontational, about, about helping people move from captivity to freedom. And let the Lord kind of stir that in you and give you opportunities to exercise and practice that this week. God, we thank you for your 
great, great love for us. We thank you for your kindness toward us because your kindness leads us to repent and to turn and follow you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.